Luck on Sunday, proudly sponsored by our Bastiat Cruel Dubai. Welcome to the Luck on Sunday podcast, a weekly audio digest of all the best bits of Luck on Sunday, free to air every Sunday from nine o'clock that brings you the best guests and insight from around the racing world. Two men who've been amongst the winners this week at the Cheltenham Festival. Harry Cobden with victory on top of the game and the great race caller, Ian Bartlett, returning to luck on Sunday. Gentlemen, good morning. Stop shaking it. Why are you shaking your head? No, I wasn't amongst the winners, was I? I think you did. was. I, I was I think you were almost certainly amongst the winners. Did you enjoy your week? I had a great week, yes. Did you? Uh, very tiring, much Tiring, so. I think, for you, though. Very much so. Quite tiring, but sort of energising at the same time. What was your most enjoyable race to call? Uh, Tiger Roll, I think. I like when they come back. And, uh, it, yeah, yeah. I mean... It's a, I call that, a, I know you're younger than me, that call, I call that a new race, the cross-country race, but um, he's a grand old horse. It mm. was nice to see, it's nice to see one win four races there. He did win four races there. Altior won four races there as well. Harry, you were second to Altior, but it was a perfect combination the week of those old favourites and sort of hope for the future as well and renewal, and that's very much where, where you come in with, with Top of the Game, who is a, a horse to really look forward to now. Oh, yeah, definitely. Um, he was really impressive, wasn't he? And, um Delighted to win on him. And just look at it, the festival in the round, before we move on to top of the game specifically. Um, for you, having a ride in virtually every one of those big grade ones, how did you feel going into the week? How did you sort of cope with the, with the pressure that surrounded it? Uh, you know, I, I just treated it like any other day and tried to keep cool. And um, thankfully, I got a winner on, on Wednesday, which um, took the pressure off a bit. But, uh, yeah, no, it was, it was fine. It was just like any other, any other day, we just... Lots of prize money and big crowds. You are quite good at that, it seems, at sort of managing the pressure of a big job. Is that just for appearances or is that just part of your character? Uh, I'd say it's, it's definitely uh, part of my character. I wouldn't um, ever sort of get too worried about big days. I'd just you know, treat it like any other. And have you always been like that, even since you, since you were a child? If you had a big sporting event or a big exam to take or anything like that, you could just amble through it quite quite breezily. I've never taken any exams, but, uh, <laughs> yeah, no, I think I've always sort of, yeah, like sporting events, matches and things at school, it never sort of worried me, so um, my dad's quite laid back, so I probably got it from him. And for Paul Nichols and that whole team down at Ditchett this week, it's the first festival for many years where they've been properly represented in virtually every Grade 1 race. I mean, did you sense that going into the event there was more of a feeling of excitement about the place than there had been before? Oh, yeah, definitely. Um, like you say, we had a great team going forward and uh, most of the horses ran really well. So, um, yeah, no, it was, uh, it was a great few days and... Um, Glad that we came out with a couple of winners. Top of the game was one such winner in the RSA chase. He is a, he is a perfect example of why Nichols is such a good trainer, isn't he? He's a, a big, tall horse, probably quite difficult to keep absolutely bang on. For those people who'd back this horse, and I'd imagine for you, there can't have been too many moments worry. No, um, he jumped really well throughout. His jumping certainly got a lot slicker. 
Um, he's a lot more straightforward. Um, and we learnt a lot from Kempton, so getting beat in the court of the star was probably the best thing that ever happened. Um, and, you know, he travelled travelled like a good thing the whole way and quickened up, up the hill, so um, it, was, uh, it was a pretty amazing day. We'll just talk through the closing stages. You've got Delta Work just in front of you here. He's a horse who is an OK jumper, but not as good a jumper as you are. Were you mindful as to whether to follow him through or not? I just, I, I, I was pretty happy coming down the hill because I had Santini and Delta Work, the two sort of fancied horses in front of me, and um, I got a good jump at the second last, and I just didn't want to commit too soon down to the last. And uh, He winged, winged the last and landed running, gave him a couple of flicks, and he went on him and won really nicely. And Santini's a pretty tough horse, you know, he'll find for pressure. So was, was it through your mind, when do I challenge, when do I challenge? Yeah, I didn't want to get into a, I didn't want to get into a sort of a battle turning in with, um, with Santini because he stays really well and he's tough and, um, yeah, it, just, it all just sort of happened right. And there were some great scenes in the winner's enclosure afterwards. Uh, Paul Nichols' celebration, I didn't think anything could eclipse his celebration with top of the game, but he managed to eclipse it with, with Frodo on the next day. This horse, given, given his size, given his, his stature, given his potential, do you think this is your likeliest Gold Cup ride 12 months from now? He could be. Um, you know, he's, he's got everything going from him. He's a good traveller, which is what you need. He jumps very well. Um, He's a big, strong horse. Um, so, you know, he, if, he, if he improves again, then he, he could well be. Now, tell me, after the Corso Star at Kempton, how robust was the exchange of views between you and the trainer about, about your ride on, on that occasion? Um, well, he didn't really say too much, but um, I could tell he wasn't exactly happy with it. Um, but thankfully, we got it right in the King George, so it was all all right. And actually, in, in all seriousness, if you had gone back and had the Kempton race again, do you think you could have won it? I, I, I'd say if I'd, if I'd have waited and had one go going, going to the last, then it would have been all right, because sort of I, I turned in upside sticky and um, I, I, I thought, right, we'll put it to bed now. And I, I, jumped the second la- I jumped the third last well, I jumped the second last well, but the, 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 the Greytrex mare was like really really tough and she battled it out well Richard Johnson's the strongest jockey in the weighing room so um, uh, he, he got his mare back up alongside me and she just probably toughed out a little bit better but um, you know it could be a different story now we've got a bit more experience on our side and um, he's, uh, he's certainly improving and that's the thing Barty isn't it you talk about consistency of keeping the same jockey on the same horse and building a partnership through the season but for the knowledge that Harry had accrued at Kempton it might not have been such a fluent victory well, on Wednesday. I think an awful lot of big races are won through a defeat one or two runs beforehand. That definitely is the case. I mean, when you go back over lots of years, lots of jockeys will say, I got beat that day, but that really made sure I never got beat on the horse again. So, yeah. And contrast your emotions between last year when you had your first festival winner on Kilbrick and Storm, who was a massive outsider and no one expected anything, and you sort of came in and everyone, oh, sorry, what was that? To this year when you're on a fancied horse and you are expected to deliver it. Yeah, um, obviously last year there was uh, there was sort of not really much um, expectation going out. Mr. Tizard said, just enjoy yourself and see what you can do. Um, whereas this year, obviously, he was top of the game was a fancied horse, wasn't he? And, um, I had a plan going going out, and it just went all pretty pretty perfect. You want to see? I had a nice bit of space the whole way around, and the horse jumped well, and it all went perfectly well. So um, it was it was it was um, 
really satisfactory to sort of win that race and, and know that the plan paid off. I thought Barty, the RSA, was an interesting turning point in the festival because the first day had been quite urgent and frenetic and no one quite knew what was coming next after Benny de Dieu and Espoir d'Alene. And then when you saw the front three in the market, three promising young chasers, bang, over the last as one, up the running, it, it had a nicely satisfying feeling about <laughs> it. And you thought, hmm, the, sti- the ship's just been steadied a bit now. The punters could calm down. They mm, weren't going to exactly. come out for left field at huge prices anymore. No, I think you're probably right about that. Yeah. Slightly left field, the Gold Cup with Albin Photo. It's not as though he was an unfancied horse, but he wasn't a horse that had been on everyone's lips beforehand. Harry, you were riding one of the horses that was on everyone's lips beforehand, Clan de Zobo, who's currently in fourth on the inside the sheep skin noseband. Now when we pick it up, you're upsized the eventual winner. How did you think you were going at this point? Um, I, I, I thought the, the rain didn't help us in the morning and the ground was a little bit softer than I wanted it um, therefore he didn't probably travel as well as um, he would have done if the ground was, if the ground was good but um, just coming down this hill we bypassed the next fence and um, the flags and whistles are going and uh, he starts pricking his ears and I thought, oh, um, maybe I've got a good bit left in the tank and I should just sit up on him and try and get a breather into him. But I'd say, you know, the, the gallop that we went and the ground was probably a little bit against him is why he didn't get up the hill. So he deceived you a little bit? A little bit. Is but, he that sort of horse? Um, you don't know really how... how I, thought, I, I thought I still had plenty in the tank, but... Obviously, three mile, two round there, you go right gallop. And um, I had a nice split up the inside here, and I thought I was in with a right chance, but um, he just probably didn't quite stay the, stay the extra two furlongs. And how conscious are you of which are the other horses around you? You mentioned it with Delta Work and Santini earlier. When you saw it was Album Photo and you had Bristol de May there as well, did you still give yourself a chance? Um, I just thought, you know, I, after I jumped the, the second last, I knew I was probably running on fumes, but he still galloped right to the line, and Native River sort of outstayed us to, to chin us for fourth. And what did you make of the race as a whole, Barty? Because, as I said, Albin Photo wasn't a horse that everybody was talking about, but we knew that he was on Ruby Walsh's shortlist to ride, and it was probably quite a hard decision for him to make. Well, it was, I think it was a very competitive Gold Cup, wasn't it? It's not uh, the... You, could, you looked at it beforehand and thought, I'm not going to be too surprised uh, if any number of these win. And um, I mean, he's a young horse. This is one well, a young horse. But he's the, the seven-year-olds, uh, the sort of thing you think are going to be the improving ones that will win a Gold Cup. And he's done it very, very well. Um, and so I was surprised. William was afterwards saying, I'm, I thought I'd never win it. I thought... He, uh, uh, He's only 62. He's got plenty of years left yet uh, to, to win the race. But, um, no, I thought he was... I don't think he's, he's a, uh, an outstanding Gold Cup winner, but he is a, a very good Gold Cup winner. Annabelle Fly, you know, he's... Well, if they'd gone maybe around again, we would have got there, but he stays tremendously well. And a little bit of changing in the guard. I mean, although neither of them have run um, uh, way below form, but Native River... Uh, only in fourth place, he'd won it 12 months ago. Uh, I see Colin was talking about maybe putting blinkers on just to mm. sharpen him up next time, but uh, he's there to come back again. So. I mean, Native River's a horse that you would you have pretty good knowledge of, Harry, with your association with the, with the Tizars. He, he just looks not to quite be taking his rider forward with the same enthusiasm this year as he was last year, and, and Richard Johnson had to drive him away from the start, and I thought, well, that's his race gone. Yeah, but I, I thought we did go we did go a hell of a gallop. Um, I didn't ride in the Gold Cup last year, so I couldn't tell you what sort of gallop they went. Um, but 
I just thought we went very, very hard early. Um, and he was probably out of his comfort zone, wasn't he? But um, when Richard Johnson did get the get to the front, um, I thought we'd sort of we'd have a little breather, but we didn't. We, we, we turned to go down the back straight the last time we took off again. So um, it was a real end-to-end gallop. I, I was sort of very surprised watching it back how well the how well the winner did did travel. Um, because he was pretty much upside to you yeah. most of the way round, and you were the only ones of the big players, if you like, who were able to keep tabs with the pace and still have something at the end of the yeah, race. Exactly that, and I was just—I was, I was really, really impressed with how the how, how the winner went about the race. And great performance in third from from Bristol yeah. to May, and one of the more entertaining interviews of the week. In a, it's a strong heat as well. I mean, Lydia's interviews during the week produced some fantastic stories, but Nigel Twist and Davis after Bristol to May was in Twist and Davis form. Yes, I mean, it's nice to see that the horse has done so many good things over the years and won so many big races. Uh, and, uh, but I don't know, well, life is like this. Some horses, for some unknown reason, get knocks all the time from uh, the likes of our colleagues uh, writing about them in the papers. And he, for some unknown reason, uh, gets a lot of knocks, this horse. I mean, he's won a lot of very good races. OK, he might be better at Haydock, or Haydock might suit him better than anywhere else. But he has now come there and... Uh, run very well in a Gold Cup and got the place that he deserves. But it was a moment that he had to um, be content with being sort of some way through the the trade paper the next day because clearly there was only one person who was going to grab the headlines on Friday morning and that was Brownie Frost and the willing partner that is that is Frodon. Now you are perfectly placed to talk about the rider and the horse here, Harry. You know both extremely well. What did you imagine would happen in this race and did you actually give them a shot? I thought they had a good chance. They do. They do get on very well together. Um, he jumped extremely well the whole way. Um, it looked to me like they went a good, good gallop. And um, you know, turning in, you thought Aso might might just serve up to him, but he's such a hardy trier, isn't he? Throwed on, and he really wants it. And you know, they went down to the last. They jumped the last well, and. He just put his head down and galloped, galloped all the way to the line. And you know, it's great for Bryony, it's great for Paul, it's great for the owners, and it's, it's, it's good for racing. Before we have a chat with Bryony, who's standing by waiting to talk to us on the phone, what is it do you think about the way she rides this horse that the horse responds to so well? I suppose they just they just get on really well. She believes in the horse, the horse believes in her, and it's a great combination. And this exhibition of guts up the running was was quite extraordinary uh, Frodon really digging it out of course he'd won over further the time before terrific run from Aso in second for Venetia Williams and Charlie Deutsch and Road to Respect and Monley and under so giving the form some real ballast in behind footpad broke a blood vessel which is why he went from travelling really well to nothing much but Frodon went from travelling really well to digging deep up the running and that is only well probably a third of the story because Bryony Mania then took hold through the rest of the week. And Bryony is uh, on the line now. Good morning. Uh, morning, everyone. How are we doing? We're all doing extremely well. Uh, how are you feeling at the end of what's been a, a pretty insane week? Oh, well, we, we've made our way down to Devon. And um, so we're with the family. And it's just kind of we're sat in the kitchen now, just kind of still still trying to take in what, what he achieves, achieves there on Thursday. It's just it's a little bit surreal. 
I was just asking Harry whether he thought that the horse had a really good chance going into the race. And he said, yeah, I thought they had a shot because they get on, on so well. But it looked an incredibly competitive race on paper, Brownie. To what extent do you think his victory can be put down to you just letting him play his natural game and not trying to change up too much? Well, that's it. Change what works. You know, and, and like it was, it was a proper race. There were proper horses in it. Like, like I said, Cheltenham is the heartbeat. It's where our extreme athletes come to, to showcase themselves, be the bravest and be the best there is. So for Frode to have a race like that and, and to get his grade one, you know, was massive for him. And not just to do it in a sort of gifted way. He really, he really showed what he was about. He showed his determination. He showed, showed really what he, what he is. You know, he, he is a determined horse who wants it more than anyone out there. Brani Frost all across the front page of the Times the next day on Frodon, and then a whole raft of media requests to fulfil, both on Thursday afternoon and all the way through Friday, and doubtless yesterday and, and today as well. How are you coping with that? Oh, it's, it's easy for me. If I asked anyone, anyone sat in the room now to think about something that they really respect, they love, um, they live for what they wake up in the morning for, something or, or, you know, or someone that, that does that for them and ask them to talk about that feeling or that relationship they have, then I'm sure you'll be able to sit down with me and tell me all about it. And it's exactly what I'm, I'm doing. I'm just trying to let people a little bit into my world, the way I see it, the way I see my horses and the way I see my teams. And, and it's just, it's, it's easy for me to talk about it because it's something that, you know, that's something that I'm, that's all I'm thinking about. <laughs> yeah. Can you wind down, or do you just not really want to wind down very much? Uh, no, I've lost the map up to cloud nine, and I refuse to find it and come back down again. <laughs> no, it's... I mean, look, the, the, the day was just awesome, walking down the chute when everyone was wishing for good luck, you know, giving everybody the thumbs up. And it, it, was, it was hard to try and, you know, acknowledge everyone, give everyone a smile and a nod as we went out. But, you know, and we did that parade, which uh, Ferdinand loves. You know, he he just thrives off the attention of everyone. You know, he is definitely King Kong in the yard. He's he's at the top of the yard. You know, he is the boisterous boy. And he um and Harry Derham had to had to do his his um his parade. And if we put roller skates on Harry, I'm sure he would have taken off with him. Um and Shelley, who looks after him every day, we made sure she stayed with us. And you know, because it was a massive moment. Shelley, she's been working in racing, I think, 18 years, and she hasn't had a, a festival winner. So, you know, we were like, you've got to stay with your boy, come on. And, and Holly, who rides him every day, she was back in the yard with Modus, who was running in the next in the next race. Everybody was there. This was the whole day. Everyone was there. That was what was, you know, magical about it, because that doesn't normally happen. And for everyone to enjoy that sort of, that moment and that achievement. And, um you know, and then you let, he was actually he was actually quite naughty to try and get down to the start. He did a three wheelie round the uh, round the bend to try and get him off down there. Um, we nearly went out the side door, <laughs> but look, you, in the race was just it was it was that sort of moment. We've got together for for a while now in our races, and it's we don't we don't ask each other anymore. We just it just seems to happen. Um, you know, when you're with him and, and, and you're going along and, and, and the strides are there, you know, I know his measurements, I know his, you know, what lead he likes to go on, he knows his track so well. At the ditch, the final ditch was just him showing his agility and, and how and what he's really about and how much there is underneath there for you. And you can really call upon it like the last. I mean, A, so the whole race having niggles, you know, and that just shows how professional he is now, niggles the whole way um, from the pace behind him. The Irish obviously had tactics. And that's cool because that's what racing's about. But so it was just like trying to block him out. It's all right, throw, don't take him on. Just chill. You'll be all right. And 
coming down to the last, you know, that moment when Aso overtook us and, and throws heads on his shoulder blade and you can see, you can hear Charlie, he's determined on his horse, his horse is determined too, but there was something about Frodon that he was just not giving up on me that day and he, he you know, he was right there and it's that moment where you, your dreams start to slip away, it's like, oh no, you know, he got the better of us and that was that moment when Frodon just like, his ears went even flatter back on his neck, his nose went even further out, the stride in front of me got even stronger and he just, he looked at that offence and wanted to attack it for me and he says, I can't do this without you. And it was that sort of urge that he gave me. And he was like, we still got a fence. we still got the hill, come on. And it was that moment when, you know, you're going into it and you're trying to find a stride for him. You're looking for it. You're like, where is it? Where is it? And then all of a sudden you've got it. And it's that split second of relief because you found it for him. And then once he got his landing gear out and he landed and he just pushed himself away from that fence. And then all of a sudden ASO's, ASO's face started coming back. His nostrils then disappeared. And then the whole world just opened up and he just wanted the line to be there for him. And as soon as it's, everything goes, it's just quiet, nothing's there. It's just you and him and his breathing and, and you're watching him. And I, I just leant down on him and I just, it's just, you know, I felt him and I was just like, wow, mate, you, you've done it. You did it. Like that moment of pure determination, that's what, that's what won it for him. One of the nicest things I saw afterwards was that the piece that the Jockey Club had commissioned where they mic'd up your dad, Jimmy, and, <laughs> and, and, and we got everything from his perspective all the way through the race and all the way down and after the race. How how much has it meant to you to be able to see that and to have him there as as part of it and and of the the rest of your family as well? Yeah, I know. Uh, you know, I'd be lost without my family. I'm really lucky to have everybody with me. You know, like uh, you can't be successful in anything in life if you haven't got the people behind you. And throughout my childhood, throughout my life, now I I'm really I've got some people that really support me and that's that's the main thing you know I've got some amazing friends and I've got an amazing family I've got my agent Dave Roberts and Fitz who's my coach and of course my teams as well you know when I was little I was lost when I turned up to Nichols's and they became a second family to me I wouldn't be here talking to you if you didn't give me the chances and believed in me at that point and you know to hear like you know I just see how nervous dad was how nervous everybody was when I saw mum back in the paddock poor Dan he, he like he came racing as well, and he was in floods of tears yeah. in the paddock. He's you know he wears his emotions on his sleeve more than me. <laughs> but it was just hate was over from America. Like I said, those those sort of days when everybody's there to appreciate um, what Froat did and what he achieved is um, is a mega mega thing. Uh, people who perhaps haven't known you until this point and have perhaps only become aware of you in, in the last week, imagine that this this level of expression. Uh, and descriptiveness comes incredibly naturally to you and it's just there but from what you've described to us sitting in this studio before and as you've just touched on there when you you first arrived as a as a potential jockey at uh, at Paul Nichols um the outside world was quite a frightening place to you in in many respects it's quite remarkable that transition well sure yeah my babysitter was a donkey that's how much (laughs) I'm human contact I had (laughs) like today I'm going to lose myself up on the moors riding for the next couple of hours for sure it's just um, I live for my horse, you know. So it's um, but to talk about them and talk about my world and the way I see it, it like I say to you guys, it, you know, it'd be easy for you to talk about something you really, really care about, and it and it is, you know, for anybody in the world. Um, but I just yeah, no, it's, and I, I like to give time to everybody as well because I take a lot of time with people. Um, you know, I give time to every single body, like. 
you know, at the races when people, you know, want to chat about Frodo, want to chat about your horses or, or a win or, or wherever it is. It doesn't matter whether it's a pumpkin on a Monday or whether it's at the festival. You know, you you want to chat about it because it's, it's what you hold very close to you. You are a, an amazing evangelist for the sport of horse racing. It's been an amazing week for women, not just in racing, but also in sport, between yourself and Rachel Blackmore and Lizzie Kelly and uh, Emma Lavelle in particular. Um, to what extent are you, are you conscious of that? Uh, or, or, or do you just try and do your own thing? I'm conscious of, um, you know, obviously the, the stories. The, the racing world, to us who live in it, is a massive world. But for the outside world, it's actually quite small. But we throw some amazing connections and, and uh, stories behind what achievements mean. You know, and it's something I think people can find, um, you know, a connection with similarity. And I, you know, it's, but I just do me. You know, I'd, I'd be the same person whether I was a boy or girl. I'd ride the same whether I was a boy or girl. If you put me and my brother upside each other, we look like we ride the same because we've been taught by mum and dad and gran and everybody, you know, the same. So it's, it's you know, if I was a boy or girl, I'd ride exactly the same. I'd do what I do and, and I'd ride how I ride. Um, so to me, that it, it doesn't make a difference. It's just me, you know. But um, and what everybody's doing, I think, at the festival, it, it was regardless whether uh, who you were. I think the achievement when you can win at the festival, when your horse is the best out there, he's been the bravest. He's he, you know he's conquered the whole field in his right own, and you've been able to partner him through that. The team at home, the people who ride him, the people who groom him, the people who train head lads, everything that goes into that horse on his race. You know, that achievement there, it doesn't matter who you are at that point. It's that. It's, it's the overall, you know, climbing to the top of the mountain and you were the one who got there first. And just finally, Bryony, can you give a nice shout-out to the man on my left who you know quite well, Mr <laughs> Cobden, for his, uh, for his ride on top of the game? Pretty good, oh, wasn't it? Yeah, I mean, honestly, we were going nuts. <laughs> it was, I mean, that, that's it. he's a very special horse. He's going he's gonna to be one for the future. Harry's got to know him again. Like I say, you, you know, an, another good partnership there. He knows him well. He's at the last. He was just spot on with each other. It's, it, when you're racing and you're riding, there's split seconds out there that you have to be together. And top of the game, Harry at the last there were spot on with each other. And, uh, you know, he was super cool coming up the running as well, you know. So Harry is, Harry is cool. He's cool. Luck on Sunday. Proudly sponsored by Albasti at Cruel Dubai. It's been a momentous week, but it's been a contentious week as well. Racing politics bubbling away under all the brilliant action that we saw on the track at the Cheltenham Festival. It's been a busy and interesting week for the Chief Executive of the British Horse Racing Authority, Nick Rust, who has come under considerable scrutiny and has incurred one or two robust exchanges of views during the course of the week, particularly off the back of the National Hunt Chase, the four miler in which several jockeys were banned for a variety of reasons. We'll talk about that and all manner of other things. Now, because I'm delighted to say that Nick joins us in the studio. Nick, good morning. Good morning. Uh, are you still feeling positive and energised about the game after a, a difficult week at Cheltenham? It was a great week at Cheltenham, was it not? Um, with the exception of one race, I think it was a brilliant festival. The sport came together. We set the bar quite high on welfare issues and preparation, and I was delighted to see that the vast majority of trainers and jockeys supported that brilliantly. The trainers and their teams putting together the pre-race information, the 
trot-ups, everything else we put in place. And we've had a good result out of it, you know, if you compare this to where we were last year. I want to thank also the jockeys, the vast, vast majority of jockeys who rode superbly during the week. Um, so I, I thought it was a fantastic week for racing, um, and we should be very proud of it. It shows what we can do when we work together. Why are the BHA taking so much criticism from the horsemen at the moment? Well, I if think, you were to sum it up in a couple of seconds. I think we're probably at a, at a philosophical disagreement, aren't we, with regards to how we manage welfare, but also some other matters. Um, uh, the bar, you know, I saw some comment from Henry Daly saying we just need to improve our lobby. Well, the, lo- the lobby for British racing in Parliament is strong, um, but it can never be strong enough. If you look at the comments from Mims Davis, who came to Cheltenham on Friday, had a showcase day around the place, she loved it, and she spoke very positively about what the sport is doing um, to, to lead on welfare. We have a strong um, situation in DEFRA as well. But the bar from the public is moving and changing. And, you know, the animal welfare debate, uh, the, the, the debate on British racing back in October time, the animal welfare minister stood firm by our sport, but at the same time put us on notice that he needed to see improved outcomes, otherwise he would come under pressure to intervene. And we're very fortunate because our sport is independent of being regulated by a completely independent regulator or by government. And, you know, we must protect that if we're to ensure our sport can survive and thrive. I, 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 I listened to the comments of Conor McGinn, MP, who sits on the all-party racing group, and he said, look, you know, we can leave no stone unturned with politicians. We need to make sure that they are kept on side because this bar is moving. We need all the support that we can get. I also listened to, you know, just explain it better, just explain it better, and, uh, you know, Ted Walsh's comments, obviously, as well, with regards to... Peppa Pig. It's not about it's not about who watches racing. It's about who has the power to change the situation for racing. And I am not prepared in my role to stand by and watch the sport that I love um, head down a path that we've seen before. We need to learn the lessons from history. I was with Sir Mark Prescott the other day. He was talking about coursing, and he very kindly gave me a copy of his his book on it, fascinating history. Mm. And he said. Look, I think coursing would still have been here if we hadn't dug our heels in and said there is no change required. If we'd muzzled the dogs like they did in Ireland, we'd have moved on. I saw the same comments um, around, just explain it better, from the Countryside Alliance and from many people actually involved in jump racing saying, just explain hunting with dogs, hunting with hounds, just explain it better and it will survive in its current form. I've seen comments from around the world about sea life, about... Uh, modern uh, traditional circuses um, around zoos that are traditional. All these things are having to change because public opinion is changing. I want to stay ahead of that and make sure this great sport can survive and thrive. You mentioned Ted Walsh, and that was after his winner at Cheltenham uh, this week. And he was asked by Lydia Hislop about uh, the amateur riders race, about the decision that had been taken to ban several amateur riders. And he expanded on that and warmed to his theme. And this is what he had to say. What did you make of the negative headlines of the National Hunt chase on Wednesday morning? I thought it was way over the top. I thought it was a disgraceful uh, decision by the whoever informed the BHA. But I've been used to great disgraceful decisions here. I remember Tommy Ryan and Joe Bourne getting three months as disqualified persons. Not just a suspension. They were disqualified. They couldn't even go racing. I'm all for fellows like me who are excessive use of the stick or do things wrong. But I was standing here last year and watched a wonderful Gold Cup get a wonderful ride off Richard Johnson. And not one person standing here was offended by what Richard Johnson did. They fined him 5,000 quid and suspended him for 10 days. When you see that happening, there's something very wrong. 
If it looks wrong, it is wrong. But if it's not, doesn't look wrong. The numbers were the biggest mistake they ever made because they packed themselves into a corner. And a monkey can count. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. Like that was the mistake they should. If they know, loads of good stewards in England over the years and they'd say, that was, you misbehaved there and give you a few days. But the minute they brought in the numbers, they gave those as no choice. Once you want over nine or ten, it's like the speed limit. The racing is under such scrutiny. Ah, if you don't like racing, go and watch Peppa Pig. That's what I say. Racing is what it is. It's a wonderful sport. Horses get killed, jockeys get injured. No one knows it better than me watching Ruby. I got injured myself. It's part of the game. That's what the sport is. And the people, all everybody is here, 60 or 70,000 people here yesterday, they know that as well. Don't be pampering to the fellas because they want to stop it altogether. They, they won't be happy until there's no race. And there's no point talking about modifying it. They won't be happy until there's no race. But please God, people like you and the rest of us here will keep it going. So it seems to me that everybody's after the same goal. It's just a question of how you achieve that goal. Henry Daly today has said in an open letter to trainers, I'm writing to you with a deep sense of disappointment and disbelief in the leadership we've seen from our regulatory body. I'm sorry to say that the BHA championing itself as guardians of welfare in our sport seems to be sorely misguided and misrepresentative of our great sport. So this really is the question that I need to put to you, Nick. Why has trust broken down between the participants and the regulator? Well, I, I can only surmise on a few things, but um, we we have made some uh, mistakes in the way that we have consulted in the recent past. I think we've relied too much on the trade associations. Uh, a good example is the hind shoes um, discussion. Uh, with hind shoes, uh, we we consulted with the PGA. They had it at the t- one of the top 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 initiatives they wanted to see for their jockeys. Oh. To, to ensure that all uh, horses were shod unless there was a veterinary reason why not. Uh, we moved to put that in place. The NTF challenged a bit, but in the end supported the decision, as it had done on the flat um, previously. And then just as we're about to go ahead, we have uproar from 40 jockeys, a number of trainers and so on. And what became clear is that the consultation approach that we're taking or have been taking by just going to the PGA or the NTF, when the NTF relies on regional meetings to consult with its uh, with its trainers, and if they don't turn up, they're not getting consulted. That that's not good enough, and you know uh, we we didn't handle that because of that as well as I would like. And in future, we're just going to go directly. So I think there's been some lack of trust around that. Um, there's some we're we're raising the bar, unfortunately, for as some trainers see it. We're asking them to do more. We're asking for higher standards to be put in place. We're looking for change. The BHA, on, on my watch, has been looking to make considerable change to try and move the sport up to the standards that are expected in the wider world um, and, and amongst sports governing bodies as well. We have to reach a bar if we want government support. So, um, you know, I can understand that people don't like change. I can understand that where they don't feel consulted with properly, that that makes the change even more difficult. And I've got to put that right in terms of consultation. So how are you going to do that? Well, it's quite simple, really. We will... We, as well as saying we will consult directly with NTF and PGA on issues um, that affect their members, you know, we will have to consult directly with trainers. We're also putting together a, a group that will look at rules and the current situation in the sport, and I will invite participants directly to take part in that. We're not, we're not the, you know, we're not an unapproachable organisation, despite what some would say. You know, we're not the Stasi either. You know, some of the comments that have been made. Um, in public about the BHA and the sport by some licensed personnel, you know, in other sports, they'd be, they'd be brought in for disrepute. We try to have conversations. I'm pretty approachable. 
Um, we want to improve things. We're going to have to make sure that we make even more of an effort to contact people. I mean, I was absolutely amazed to go to Nicky Henderson's um, the morning after his comments um, with regard to Hind Shoes and the Henry Oliver incident at uh, Utoxter, and to hear, to hear him say that neither he nor any of his six or seven nearest neighbour jump trainers have been consulted on hind shoes. We expect that when we go to the NTF, they will consult. So in your view, the National Trainers Federation should bear equal responsibility for the feeling no, of... No, no, dis- I'm not, no, no, I'm not saying that. I'm no, saying, the, no, for, no, 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 but for the feeling of disenchantment amongst their membership, i.e., so if there's, a, if there's a body and a group of trainers, and Henry Daly's statement seems to suggest that, that there is a general level of dissatisfaction with the regulator, you feel that their trade body, the NTF, should bear equal responsibility. No, 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 I'm, no, I'm not saying that. I'm no. saying trainers should, should get into the NTF themselves. The NTF, we, we need to go directly to trainers as well and hear their opinion. We can't rely only on the NTF and the PGA. The NTF's got a difficult job. It's got to represent mm. John Gosden on the one hand to, to a trainer at the, at, the, at the lowest end of jump racing. On the other hand, it has a difficult job to... to I'm not criticising them. I'm just saying that the method that we have been using to go to trainers has relied only on the NTF, and that's not good enough. We need to go directly to the trainers themselves. Luck on Sunday, proudly sponsored by Albasti Ecruel Dubai. Welcome back. You're watching Luck on Sunday in the company of uh, Chief Executive of the British Horse Racing Authority, Nick Rust, who is now flanked by Ian Bartley, who was here earlier. And I'm delighted to say for the first time in the studio, uh, trainer Philip Hobbs, congratulations. The Cheltenham Festival was kind to you. Yeah, thank you very much. Nick. In the main, anyway. Yeah, all, all went very well. And how's Deffy Desoy? Absolutely grand, yeah, he's really good. Now, you've been listening in while I've been having a, a chat with Nick for the last 35, 40 minutes or so. And yeah. uh, it wasn't lost on he or I that... You're the man who trains Jerry's back, the horse around whom there's the, quite a bit of contention as regards the National Hunt chase. What's your overarching view of the situation? Um, first of all, obviously, he was tired, no doubt about that. Um, the second last, um, he jumped uh, very carefully because he was tired. The last, actually, if anything, he jumped better, mm. which he was just getting going again. I don't think at any stage Declan Laverty was... Um, pushing the horse more than uh, was reasonable. He didn't even use his stick. Um, after the race, the horse was absolutely fine. Um, no vet actually was asked to see him after the race, which I think is relevant because surely if, if he was completely exhausted, a vet should have seen him before um, Declan Laverty went into the steward's room. Um, next day at home, the horse is grand. And um, yes, he was tired, but I, I really don't think he was that exhausted he should have been pulled up. Uh, Nick, why didn't a vet have a look at him after the race? If you were going to suspend the jockey, a vet should have looked at him, shouldn't he? See how the horse was. Uh, I'm, I, I don't know what happened um, in and around that, um, so I'm not, I'm not going to comment on it. But you, do, you don't necessarily need to see... Um, it's not just about the vet's evidence. We, we don't need to necessarily see um, a, a physical problem to take action under that rule. But yes, of course, it's, it's, it's best that we do have the evidence. And uh, if a vet didn't see it, I wasn't aware of that, actually. Evidence is everything, though, isn't it? Well, Evid- in the, the context ev- of what you and I were talking about for the there's last the evid- minutes, there's evidence is everything. Yes, there's the evidence of, your, of what actually happened in the race as well, though, that needs to be taken into consideration. Um, if we, if we, if, because the, 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 the opposite of what you're saying is that when a horse wins a race 
wins it well, kicks on, and, ha- and has some sort of injury that comes to light afterwards, mm-hmm. you know, that w- should we have taken action against the jockey then? No, because the jockey would not have known that to be the, that to be the case. So it can't just be about no. the veterinary evidence. But it's an important part of it, and it needs to be. You have to have all your I's dotted and T's crossed. Yes. So that she should have been looked at, by the way. I, I, I don't know whether what I don't know what's happened. Philip saying not looked at that, that was news to me. So I, I, I don't know that. I'm not going to get involved. But if he in the specifics here, because it's going to appeal. But if he wasn't looked at, he should have been looked at, by the way. Uh, it, it, I'm not saying in all cases that should happen. I'm, I'm not saying that. I'm just, I'm just saying I don't know what happened here. Obviously, the more evidence you've got, the better. Um, were you surprised when Declan Lavery was was given a ban? I was really, particularly bearing in mind that after second last, he gave him a chance to get his breath a bit and before he got to the last but he jumped better than the second last and um, to my mind the horse was not completely exhausted I know I know Nick and and we've spoken about this before I I know that there are people who are always going to be taking a pot shot at the BHA because it's just in their nature and it wouldn't matter whether it was you Barty Philip me or whoever was in charge of the BHA there's always going to be a few people who enjoy just Mm -hmm. like Tossing grenades. I don't think Philip Hobbs is is one of them by by any stretch of the imagination. Though you might you might tell me otherwise. No, it's not. Um, Philip, I was talking to Nick a lot about the, 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 what seems to me to be a lack of a lack of trust between the the regulator and the and the and the participants, and that seems to have been touched upon by Henry Daly's letter this morning. Do you identify with Henry Daly's letter or not? Lack of trust. Exactly what do you mean by that? Well, so lack, lack, of, lack of mutual trust and respect between the horsemen and the trainers and the, and the, and the regulator. Um, I, I think there is a, probably an issue w- with the BHA vets and there is a feeling or a small feeling of mistrust in that, um, I, I, personally, I don't think there's any need for, for raids that we have nowadays when they turn up with that announcement to actually see horses. And, you know, at the end of the day, surely 99% of trainers are, are um, doing the job properly, looking after the horses properly. Um, horse, yes, horse welfare is, is paramount. Um, and we do, hopefully, a good job of looking after the horses to produce them at their best. And um, you actually mentioned just a bit ago um, regarding removing any... D- possible dangers that shouldn't be there when a horse is in training in a trainer's yard, which is vital. And, I mean, there's no problem, obviously, um, we have to have our uh, yards inspected to get licences in the first place. But I, I do feel that there is a feeling that the, um, again, with the trot-ups of Cheltenham, I mean, you know, if a trainer's not going to send a horse to Cheltenham unless he thinks he's able to run and run to his best. So I just don't think these things are necessary, and it doesn't it ends up creating a feeling which is well, not I, ideal. I mean, I would counter that a little bit because we did take two horses out, unfortunately. We hoped to take none out on the day. Some did not um, declare based on the discussions we had and the trot-ups that we did before, you know, before coming to the racing. Um, and, and there is something around making sure that we're leaving no stone unturned. Um, you can't guarantee it by having a trot-up and an assessment but we, we do regularly p- um, pull horses out, you know, about um, 17 uh, in the last six months before Cheltenham, I think, uh, was the number, where they're not um, in the right state to race. Now, they're sent along fine, but they're travelling, and things can happen on the way, obviously. So I defend that. I would also say it gave a lot of confidence to the public, and that's I'm sorry to say that's an important part of this, that we're leaving no stone unturned. And, yes, I know it's extra work 
um, for the trainers. I thought you and your colleagues cooperated brilliantly all week, and it went off absolutely fine. And I would argue it contributed a little bit to, to the result we ended up with at the festival. You see, the big problem in my mind is that there are horses which are not the best of movers, and, they, and um, that's always the case. Um, and also, um, again, when a horse has travelled and got to the race course, the travelling ahead lad is in charge of the horses. They should be inspecting when they get to the race course, make sure they're okay. You're, I think you're also assuming that a horse which is not a great mover is probably more likely to be uh, a fatality in the end, which is just miles from the truth. I don't think we've assumed that, have we? Well, then what, why then are we so concerned about horses that are not the best of movers actually not running at Charlotte? Well, we have some evidence that, that horses that turn up as fours and fives, if you will, a five obviously ain't going anywhere on the, on the lameness scale, but turn up as threes and fours when they pull out are far more likely to have an injury. So that was that we attempted, well, that's based in fact. We, had, we attempted to do that um, before going racing, yeah. um, which is why certain horses were not declared. But the trot-ups on the day weren't about poor movers. Everything was trotted up. Everything was looked at. Mm. See, I think, you know, at the end of the day, that we're assessing the horses at home on a daily basis. Uh, um, and to actually see a horse once and see it trot up of the, of the race course, I think that's probably an unfair situation. Look, we are talking about the minority here, and this isn't a normal issue. I just think it's another. But I, th- I, th- but I think what I'd say to you, Philip, what I'd say to other trainers and horsemen is, okay, what more can we do then? And you, you yourself can't see all of the data and the levels of risk for your own yard. It needs us all to pull together and look at where the areas of risk are. You know, so. If we were purely looking at saying, how could we go back to, to the world and say, we're doing everything we can to remove avoidable risk, what are the areas we'd look at? Well, one of them is around poor movers, um, but there are many others. You know, we know that summer jump racing, for example, um, you know, the, the fatality rate in summer jump racing is higher. We need, we, need to, we need to discuss these matters together. What are the best things to do? And part of Cheltenham, I, I accept about the trot-ups, part of Cheltenham was, to, was to, to leave no stone unturned, do a final check, give as much reassurance as possible to the wider public. I think the most important thing here is that trainers are licensed to look after the horses at home, get them to the race course in, in, the, in the right situation. Um, and I don't think we need... Um, checking up in these circumstances. So on that basis then, Philip, would you accept that if you had a higher fatality rate at the race course um, and that you had a higher injury rate, then perhaps your licence should be subject to different conditions and potentially, you know, if we leave all the outcomes to you only, that, that potentially, um, you know, your fitness to be a trainer should be questioned because we're, tr- we're, we're trying to take it the other way and actually help and support trainers, really, yeah. rather than look at, look at them as individuals. Perhaps we should do that. How would you, how would you, how would you respond to that? The problem is, is when you're talking about um, fatalities being um, such a, a minor amount, uh, that if a trainer is training 20, 30 horses, uh, um, that it, because he uh, loses three, 10%, that would be just very, very bad luck. Uh, um, and, you know, when you talk about fatalities... But not necessarily, being, Philip, bad luck. Not necessarily. Because so, if it, we look at two of yours and we yeah. find that they've had a particular injury to to a hawk previously and they've been treated in some way and we find a pattern of that around other trainers, you're right, you can't spot the pattern, but we can with the right data. And I think that's what we're saying we need to start looking at rather than putting it on you. I don't want to put it on you unless unless there's clear evidence that you're mistreating horses, which I know you're not from all of our stable visits. Well, all I'm trying to say here is, is the percentages are so low that 
that it can be just a matter of luck one way or the other. And, and, and I think... Within you know, your yard, yes. OK, well, let, let's then talk about Fertilis of Cheltenham Festival then. If, if it's not one year, and unfortunately quite a lot more the next year, uh, you know, that, that those things, those trends can change. M- maybe we should be looking over a longer period of time. And we have, and those are, the, those are the figures that we give to government. But as you know, the festival for the previous three years was seven, five, six, I think, um, yeah. in the previous years. And, mm. you know, the public looks at that and says... That's three times the average for jump racing. Sure. You know, we have to do something about it. What, what do you think? We talk, a lot is talked about public perception and societal change. What do you think society's view of horse racing is? And do you think it's significantly changed over the last five or ten years? No. I mean, obviously, nowadays, with social media and everything else, you're looking at the phone just now, see what's come in and all the rest of it. However, surely the fact that the crowds at Charlton this year were higher than ever before um, has to be a positive, doesn't it? Well, viewing figures were Of course I, it's I a positive, but there's 70,000 there on Friday, and, yeah. uh, you know, the, the, the amount of people indicating animal um, concerns amongst their voting intentions is many, many millions. Yeah. That's, that's the issue, you know. Well, well, we, we are sport. Within our sport, you know, um, around, the, around the peak times, you know, the sport is doing quite well, but it, it's not who attends that's going to determine the future of this sport. Um, the the uh, ITV... Viewing figures, we'll see, were just under a million. You know, so that was up as well. Yeah, it's that, good that, news. become more significant, maybe. It's good news. Yeah. I agree. I agree. Uh, that's all good so, news. All that's very positive, uh, and I think the whole sport is very positive. I mean, it's become uh, um, uh, everybody wants to be involved. Horses making more and more money. That has to be a positive. Um, so I, I think I think the sport's in a very good place. But but I, agree I also that. understand that we need to be very careful. Luck on Sunday, proudly sponsored by our Bastiat Cruel Dubai. Right, you think, you think you've got problems. You're not in California, uh, where uh, racing is having a significant uh, existential crisis. Santa Anita has been closed because of a spate of equine fatalities on their dirt track, uh, mainly on their dirt track, also a spike in fatalities on their turf track, it should be pointed out. They reopened the training track in front of all the television cameras and another horse was killed in morning training. That led to a further shutdown of the race course. They've re- they're going to reopen now. It's just been announced um, by the Stronach Group on March the 29th. But with a suite of recommendations that is being negotiated between the Stronach Group, the California Horse Racing uh, uh, Board, and also the, the owners group in California, uh, this is a long, long statement. I'm not going to read it all out to you. Uh, but fundamentally... What Belinda Stronach, the Stronach Group, uh, Tim Ritvo, their chief executive, are proposing is zero tolerance of any race day medication at Santa Anita Park and Golden Gate Fields. Now, this could precipitate a massive sea change across the United States. That includes Lasix, the hugely controversial drug uh, on which most horses race in America. So there's no Lasix, no medication on race days at Santa Anita and Golden Gate Fields. And it includes uh, the possibility of advancing legislation uh, as regards the, the whip, uh, many people within the Stronach group are tri- striving for a situation where whips can only be carried and not used. You would have thought that America would be the last country in the world uh, to push forward this legislation, but it seems to be that they will be uh, the world leaders, if that's the way you want to uh, put it on this. Uh, revisions banning the use of latex, increasing the ban on legal therapeutic um, non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drugs, joint injections, shockwave therapy, anabolic steroids. That covers an all, a, a, a large amount of medications at varying degrees of performance enhancement and complete transparency. This is a, 
And just read the last paragraph here. It's time to address the growing concern about the use of the riding crop. This is in America, don't forget. A cushion crop should only be used as a corrective safety measure. Whilst we firmly believe our jockeys have not been purposely mistreating their mats, it is time to make this change. Uh, this is uh, an extraordinary statement uh, from a country where there are several different jurisdictions. There isn't harmony as regards uh, legislation from one state to another, uh, never mind international harmony. Uh, but it could just be that the Stronach Group, in making this statement, for all that it's off the back of a potentially unrelated situation is, is going to lead the way in terms, of, in terms of the way the public perceives the sport. I'm delighted that Graham Motion, Kentucky Derby winning trainer, leading trainer in the United States, one of the trainers with the best, very best record in terms of uh, medication, uh, joins us on the line now. Graham, good morning. Hi, good morning, guys. Um, thank, you very much, thank you very much for joining us. It's, a, it's sensational news, in a sense, this coming out of Santa Anita, off the back of a, of a three weeks of well, I don't think tragedy is putting it too strongly. What, what's your reaction to it? Well, I think the biggest concern for, from everybody involved is that the Stronach Group's motivation is for the right reasons and, and not just to take attention away from their own problems with the racetrack. In terms of the racetrack itself, what seems to, what seems to be the received wisdom as regards the, the problem that has led to so many fatalities? I mean, definitely they've had a really unusual winter out there, and obviously I'm not there, so I, I need to make that clear. I'm just seeing it from, from an outsider like you guys. Um, clearly they've had a very difficult winter. It's been an ex extraordinarily wet winter. So they've been dealing with racetracks um, that, that are constantly wet and not getting a chance to dry out, and I think that's, that's considered to be one of the issues. Do you think these measures had been on the table for a while and this has just you know, triggered the inevitable? I do. I mean, I think this is something that, that probably has been on... Well, I, I know it's been on the Stronach Group's mind for a long time. Uh, again, I think the concerns for the horsemen in general is that this is a little bit of a knee-jerk reaction. Um, and, and, and it just came out so quickly when no one really had a chance to discuss it. Um, I mean, these are pretty drastic changes. I will say that the zero tolerance for, for race day medication, that really is only, the only change with that is Lasix. We are not allowed to treat horses on race day. The, the only medication that is allowed to be treated on race day is Lasix. Hence, that's why so much attention has been brought onto Lasix. And obviously that has always been a big sticking point with horsemen in this country is is taking away Lasix. I think everybody's very comfortable with um, stricter regulations as far as anti-inflammatories. You know, basically what they're saying is they're going to increase the withdrawal days. Um, right now, I believe, I don't specifically know what the rules are in California. I believe it's 30 hours in most states that horses are allowed to be treated with um, Butte. Um, it could be a little less in California. But, you know, I think what's probably very hard for your viewers to understand is every state in this country is like a different country. We have a tremendous problem in this country where, where if I run a horse, I'm stable in Maryland. If I run a horse in Delaware, which is 20 minutes up the road, they have a completely different set of rules from the state, from the rules that I'm running under in Maryland. Which makes your life extremely difficult and also begs the question as to the extent to which these, these rules can be rolled out across the country. Graham, you've called for strong leadership in the United States. Isn't this the time now for somebody to take the bull by the horns, for all the state authorities to take the bull by the horns and say, come on, we've got to harmonise our regulations and one person or one body has got to lead the sport and drive the sport forward? 
in my opinion, we are desperate for leadership. I mean, I, I really feel like this, you know, the, the, the way this has been handled by the Stronach group is not well. We don't have a spokesman. I, you know, it's interesting. I've listened to a little bit of your conversation with, with Nick Rust from the BHA. You know, we, we don't even have a group that's leading us in this country. Um, and, and I think this just goes to show a, a gaping hole in, in a huge problem for us that we, we desperately need better leadership, whether that comes from the jockey club. But we need an overseeing body that's going to help us get through these situations. I mean, fundamentally, you would be in favour of, of, of no Lasix on race day future, wouldn't you? Yes, I would. I mean, I, look, I think as long as everyone's playing under the same rules, I'm fine with it. But along with that becomes, you know, how we manage security, how we ma manage contamination in the stores. I mean, I recently saw, um, I believe, the BHA find a racetrack because there was some remnants of some feed in a stall yeah. um, in, a, in a horse box on a day that a horse shipped into race. You know, it's quite common for us to ship into a, a, a stall or a, a horse um, on a day of racing and, and we might be going on the same bedding that was used by a horse the, de the day previously so you know we are so far behind you guys in as far as um, allowing for contamination or, or trying to, to to eliminate contamination if you like and I just think we need to get so much tighter on as, as, as tougher as the testing gets everything else needs to keep up with that at the same time and as far as the the Stronach groups uh, the, mooting the theory that they could do without uh, uh, riding crops uh, for for uh, encouragement use and only only have them for for um, for corrective measure, if you like, what's your what's your reaction to that? I thought America would be the last country in the world that would ever uh, impose those sort of uh, whip regulations. Look, I think like you guys, we we have an image problem, and we just have to be very careful with with how how we use a, a, a stick, um, a whip. And California, I believe, did in, institute some rules um, last year as to how the, the riding crop should be handled. But basically, we don't have any rules in most jurisdictions in this country. And I, I do think that's a big problem. And I, I think this is pretty drastic. If we're going to go from um, having no rules to, to having strict rules where you really can't use the crop other than to... Um, correct the horse, if you like. I mean, that's going to be a big hurdle to get over. I, I admire it. I think it's a step in the right direction. I genuinely feel that we we need to do something for, for our image. It, it's not a good image to have a jockey be able to use a stick as much as he likes um, in, in any given race. Uh, there's quite an interesting um, piece that I was I was reading from on, on the on the PETA website. That's the People for the Ethical Treatment of Animals. Uh, sort of pr praising the, the Stronach group uh, for, for these measures and saying, well, this is what we've been campaigning for. Yeah, you've also been campaigning for, for racing to go. So if, if Peter is seeing this as a, as, a, as a great victory, Graham, does that worry you a little bit? I think it's incredibly disturbing. I mean, actually, there was a, there was a something was put up on Twitter which, which said, you know, like you're saying, this is a great step, Santronita. Mm. setting a great example and this is you know one step closer to to doing away with horse racing and we have got to be so concerned as a group um as horsemen with their interaction um peter is a very radical group as you guys probably well know i, I know you have 
your own groups in, in the UK, but we, we have to be so careful any time we start interacting with Peter. Yeah, indeed, the, the, in the Stronach Group's press release, the Peter spokesperson is, is quoted, which is a, an unusual uh, step for sure. And it's a big worry. There's no doubt about it. And on all this, you know, again, I, I think all of this needs to be reviewed um, and we need to tread very carefully. Luck on Sunday, proudly sponsored by our Bastiat Cruel Dubai. I, I said at the very beginning of this programme, it is getting harder and harder and harder to train winners at the Cheltenham Festival. There's so many great big powerhouses. So to actually walk away from the festival with one horse that's won and a whole bunch of horses that have run well, that's a, that's a big result for you, isn't it? Oh, massively so. Of course it is, you know. And when you're in the situation with Daffy de Sol, who's favourite, it's either going to be a really good week if he wins or a really bad week if he doesn't. And there's no in-between, you know. But uh, no, great. I mean, thank heavens that we have four days because at least you've got, you've got some more races to have, which I was having winner. Well, this is true. Yeah. And we might talk about whether it's going to be a five-day festival in a moment. But here is Deffy Desoy. And for many people, he was just a bomb-proof horse. How did you feel going into the race? Uh, very confident. He, everything had gone really well. And I think every time he's run this season, we've had a, 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 an improvement. Um, and uh, I still think there was further improvement, which he showed here. You clearly absolutely adore this horse and during his juvenile hurdle campaign you were so excited about him with that in mind how disappointing was it when the wheels just appeared to completely fall off last year and did you think well that was that that was lovely but we're never getting back well realistically only ran twice yeah. uh, um, he ran first time he ran last season and um, he was fourth at Ascot it's well known that our horses were not in great health last season but um, when he um, travelled over to Ireland for the Irish Champion Hurdle in February um, he had a very bad crossing. He wasn't very good after the race. And it could well have been that that was the cause that time. So really, it, w it was the right thing to do to go back to Martinsland, have the summer off and start all over again. So he only had two runs. The first one wasn't disastrous. And, uh, it, you know, just things didn't work out. And, and when things aren't working out, it's no good trying to push it. You've got to give them time. And when you got him back this year, when he came back to you from Martinsland, did you think, yeah, I've got my boy back? Yeah, I mean, right from the word go, he was A1, happy. He's the most amazing horse in that every time, every day he comes out of the stable, he's bouncing away and he's not in a stupid way. He's just very happy to be there doing his work. I mean, he's a, a, a fantastic horse because he's massively tough and wants to do the job. And um, very lucky to have him. He looks dead straightforward now. Oh, very much so, yeah. He is, very much so. And although he, it's a lot being made that he's not very big, which is true... He's massively athletic, and sometimes these horses actually that aren't too big uh, are, can manage themselves better than the great big clumbering brute, you know? Well, you've trained a, a champion chase winner. You've trained a champion hurdle winner. You've trained a supreme novices winner. You've trained horses that have run really well in the King George. Is he the most fundamentally talented horse you've trained, do you think? Um, he could be. I think it's, I think it's early days at this stage to, to really know. He's only six. But... Um, he, he, he could be, and his attitude is really good that you'd hope that things will last. And do you think he's a horse that can keep rolling over further? Could he, could he be lining up in a Gold Cup this time next year? Um, I suppose it's probably unlikely, but um, I have a theory a bit that the better a horse is, the lesser distance matters. You know, uh, Cortez Star, for instance, fantastic horse over two miles, three miles, Desert Orchid won the Irish Grand National, and he's a very good horse over two miles. Mm. Um, and maybe he's one of those. 
Because he seems to settle nicely and travel nicely. Not the sort oh, yeah. of horse you think is going to run himself out of gas. Definitely not. No, that's not never going to be an issue. And actually, you know, uh, at the meeting this, this week, we had him in the Arkel as well, and um, he has plenty of pace. We could have run in that if we wanted to. And I, I was just thinking, do you think you'd have won that? Um, the winner, won, William Mullins' horse, won extremely well. Um, but all the sort of fancy horses didn't participate. Difficult to answer that. Uh, is he a horse you can see running in, a, say, a King George next season? A horse you've, a race you've gone very close to? M- maybe we haven't discussed plans at all, but obviously it depends what happens this season as well, yeah? But um, maybe the, to run in the King George is a, a logical step towards something further. Mm. An easy three miles, you know? Yeah, sure. Yeah, and yeah. and, where, and is he, he's got, it sounds like he's going to run again this year. Um, yeah, I'm a, I would imagine he'll really run at Aintree, but um, um, we'll, we'll see how he's next week. But the first uh, signs are very good. And lastly, you said all your horses were under a cloud. Um, did you ever really get to the bottom of what that was? We just had a low-grade ongoing virus, and we've altered a few things um, in the yard with ventilation and, and the disinfectant we use and things. It might not even have been the reason, because the previous years have been fine. But there's, you know, it, it, it makes you makes you sort of jolt into action about what you can do about it. That's for mm. sure. Anyway, so so yes, I think we're back on track, and horses have been very healthy this year, and that's a big benefit. And numerically, you're you're going well too. Yeah, 88 winners so far. So mm. hopefully, we should get to the hundred. All being right. Is getting to the hundred? How much does that inform your psyche when you sort of approach the season? Is it a big deal for you guys? No, I think it is actually. Yeah, yeah, I think I think hundred winners. Uh, Good base. And how many times have you done it? Oh, I've forgotten, to be honest. I'm not sure. It's well into the teens, though, isn't it? Probably. Luck on Sunday. Proudly sponsored by Albasti at Cruel, Dubai. You've been listening to the Luck on Sunday podcast, the weekly digest of the best bits from Luck on Sunday, the programme that brings you the best guests and insights from around the racing world.